0: Section 35 of The Fable of the Bees by Bernard Mandeville. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Second Dialogue Between Horatio and Cleomenes Horatio, the discourse we had yesterday has made a great impression upon me. You said several things that were very entertaining and some which I shall not easily forget. I do not remember I ever looked into myself so much as I have done since last night after I left you. Cleomenes, to do that faithfully it is a more difficult and a severer talk than is commonly imagined. When yesterday I asked you where and among what sort of people we were to look for those whom you would allow to act from principles of virtue, you named a class among whom I have found very agreeable characters of men, that yet all have their failings. If these could be left out, and the best were picked and culled from the different good qualities that are to be seen in several the compound would make a very handsome picture. Horatio, to finish it well every way, would be a great masterpiece. Cleomenes, that I shall not attempt, but I do not think it would be very difficult to make a little sketch of it, that yet should exceed nature, and be a better pattern for imitation than any can be shown alive. I have a mind to try. The very thought enlivens me. How charming is the portrait of a complete gentleman, and how ravishing is the figure which a person of great birth and fortune to whom nature has been no niggard, makes, when he understands the world, and is thoroughly well-bred. Horatio, I think them so, I can assure you, whether you are in jest or in earnest. Cleomenes, how entirely well hid are his greatest imperfections! Though money is his idol, and he is covetous in his heart, yet his inward avarice is forced to give way to his outward liberality, and an open generosity shines through all his actions." Horatio, there lies your fault. It is this I cannot endure in you. Cleomenes, what is the matter? Horatio, I know what you are about. You are going to give me the caricature of a gentleman, under pretense of drawing his portrait. Cleomenes, you wrong me. I have no such thought. Horatio, but why is it impossible for human nature ever to be good? Instead of leaving out, you put in failings without the least grounds or color. When things have a handsome appearance every way... What reason have you to suspect them still to be bad? How came you to know, and which way have you discovered imperfections that are entirely well hid, and why should you suppose a person to be covetous in his heart, and that money is his idol, when you own yourself that he never shows it, and that an open generosity shines through all his actions? This is monstrous. Cleomenes, I have made no such supposition of any man, and I protest to you that, in what I said... I had no other meaning than to observe that whatever frailties and natural infirmities persons might be conscious of within, good sense and good manners were capable, and, without any other assistance, sufficient to keep them out of sight. But your questions are very reasonable, and since you have started this, I will be very open to you, and acquaint you beforehand with my design of the description I am going to make, and the use I intend it for. Which, in short, is to demonstrate to you that a most beautiful superstructure may be raised upon a rotten and despicable foundation. You will understand me better presently. Horatio, but how do you know a foundation to be rotten that supports the building and is wholly concealed from you? Cleomenes, have patience, and I promise you that I shall take nothing for granted which you shall allow of yourself. Horatio, stick close to that, and I desire no more. Now say what you will. Cleomenes, the true object of pride or vainglory is the opinion of others, and the most superlative wish which a man possessed and entirely filled with it can make is that he may be well thought of, applauded, and admired by the whole world, not only in the present but all future ages. This passion is generally exploded, but it is incredible how many strange and widely different miracles are and may be performed by the force of it as persons differ in circumstances and inclinations. In the first place, there is no danger so great, but by the help of his pride a man may slight and confront it, nor any manner of death so terrible, but with the same assistance he may court, and if he has a firm constitution, undergo it with alacrity. In the second, there are no good offices or duties, either to others or ourselves, that Cicero has spoke of, nor any instance of benevolence, humanity, or other social virtue, that Lord Shaftesbury has hinted at. But a man of good sense and knowledge may learn to practice them from no better principle than vain glory, if it be strong enough to subdue and keep under all other passions that may thwart and interfere with his design. Horatio, shall I allow this? Cleomenes, yes. Horatio, when? Cleomenes, before we part. Horatio, very well. Cleomenes, men of tolerable parts and plentiful circumstances that were artfully educated and are not singular in their temper, can hardly fail of a genteel behavior. The more pride they have, and the greater value they set on the esteem of others, the more they will make it their study to render themselves acceptable to all they converse with, and they will take uncommon pains to conceal and stifle in their bosoms everything which their good sense tells them ought not to be seen or understood." Horatio, I must interrupt you, and I cannot suffer you to go on thus. What is all this but the old story over again, that everything is pride, and all we see hypocrisy, without proof or argument? Nothing in the world is more false than what you have advanced now, for according to that, the most noble, the most gallant, and the best-bred man would be the proudest. Which is so clashing with daily experience that the very reverse is true. Pride and insolence are nowhere more common than among upstarts, men of no family, that raise estates out of nothing, and the most ordinary people, that having had no education, are puffed up with their fortune whenever they are lifted up above mediocrity, and from mean stations advance to posts of honor, whereas no men upon earth, generally speaking, are more courteous, humane, or polite than persons of high birth, that enjoy the large possessions and known seats of their ancestors men illustrious by descent, that have been used to grandeur and titles of honor from their infancy, and received an education suitable to their quality. I do not believe there ever was a nation that were not savages, in which the youth of both sexes were not expressly taught, never to be proud or haughty. Did you ever know a school, a tutor, or a parent, that did not continually inculcate to those under their care to be civil and obliging? Nay, Does not the word mannerly itself import as much? Cleomenes, I beg of you, let us be calm and speak with exactness. The doctrine of good manners furnishes us with a thousand lessons against the various appearances and outward symptoms of pride, but it has not one precept against the passion itself. Horatio, how is that? Cleomenes, no, not one against the passion itself. The conquest of it is never attempted, nor talked of in a gentleman's education, where men are to be continually inspired and kept warm with the sense of their honor and the inward value they must put upon themselves on all emergencies. Horatio, this is worth consideration and requires time to be examined into, but where is your fine gentleman, the picture you promised? Cleomenes, I am ready and shall begin with his dwelling. Though he has several noble seats in different countries, yet I shall only take notice of his chief mansion house that bears his name and does the honors of the family. This is amply magnificent, and yet commodious to admiration. His gardens are very extensive, and contain an infinite variety of pleasing objects. They are divided into many branches for diverse purposes, and everywhere filled with improvements of art upon nature. Yet a beautiful order and happy contrivance are conspicuous through every part, and though nothing is omitted to render them stately and delightful, the whole is laid out to the best advantage. Within doors everything bespeaks the grandeur and judgment of the master. And as no cost is spared anywhere to procure beauty or conveniency, so you see none impertinently lavished. All his plate and furniture are completely fine, and you see nothing but what is fashionable. He has no pictures but of the most eminent hands. His rarities he shows are really such. He hoards up no trifles, nor offers anything to your sight that is shocking but the several collections he has of this sort are agreeable as well as extraordinary, and rather valuable than large. But curiosities and wealth are not confined to his cabinet. The marble and sculpture that are displayed up and down are a treasure themselves, and there is abundance of admirable gilding and excellent carving to be seen in many places. What has been laid out on the great hall and one gallery would be a considerable estate, and there is a saloon and staircase not inferior to either, These are all very spacious and lofty. The architecture of them is of the best taste, and the decorations surprising. Throughout the whole there appears a delicate mixture and astonishing variety of lively embellishments, the splendor of which, joined to a perfect cleanliness, nowhere neglected, are highly entertaining to the most careless and least observing eye, whilst the exactness of the workmanship bestowed on every part of the meanest utensil gives a more solid satisfaction, and is ravishing to the curious. But the greatest excellency in this model of perfection is this, that as in the most extraordinary rooms there is nothing wanting for their purpose, and the least passage is handsomely finished, so in those of the greatest éclat there is nothing overcharged, nor any part of them encumbered with ornaments. Horatio. This is a studied piece, but I do not like it the worse for it. Pray go on. Cleomenes. I have thought of it before, I own. His equipage is rich and well chosen, and there is nothing to be seen about him that art or expense, within the compass of reason, could make better. At his own table his looks are ever jovial, and his heart seems to be as open as his countenance. His chief business there is to take care of others, without being troublesome, and all his happiness seems to consist in being able to please his friends. In his greatest mirth he is wanting in respect to no man and never makes use of abbreviations and names, or unhandsome familiarities with the meanest of his guests. To everyone that speaks to him, he gives an obliging attention, and seems never to disregard anything but what is said in commendation of his fare. He never interrupts any discourse but what is made in his praise, and seldom assents to any encomiums, though the most equitable that are made on anything that is his. When he is abroad, he never spies faults, and whatever is amiss, He either says nothing, or, in answer to the complaints and uneasiness of others, gives everything the best-natured turn it can bear. But he seldom leaves a house before he finds out something to extol in it, without wronging his judgment. His conversation is always facetious and good-humored, but as solid as it is diverting. He never utters a syllable that has the least tincture of obscenity or profaneness, nor ever made a jest that was offensive. Horatio, very fine. Cleomenes, he seems to be entirely free from bigotry and superstition, avoids all disputes about religion, but goes constantly to church and is seldom absent from his family devotions. Horatio, a very godly gentleman. Cleomenes, I expected we should differ there. Horatio, I do not find fault. Proceed, pray. Cleomenes, as he is a man of erudition himself, so he is a promoter of all arts and sciences, He is a friend to merit, a rewarder of industry, and a professed enemy to nothing but immorality and oppression. Though no man's table is better furnished, nor cellars better stored, he is temperate in his eating, and never commits excess in drinking. Though he has an exquisite palate, he always prefers wholesome meats to those that are delicious only, and never indulges his appetite in anything that might probably be prejudicial to his health. Horatio, admirably good. Cleomenes, as he is in all other things, so he is elegant in his clothes, and has often new ones. Neatness he prefers to finery in his own dress, but his retinue is rich. He seldom wears gold and silver himself, but on very seldom occasions, in compliment to others, and to demonstrate that these pompous habits are made for no other purpose, he is never seen twice in the same, but having appeared in them one day, he gives them away the next. Though of everything he has the best of the sort, and might be called curious in apparel, yet he leaves the care of it to others, and no man has his clothes put on better that seems so little to regard them. Horatio, perfectly right, to be well-dressed is a necessary article, and yet to be solicitous about it is below a person of quality. Cleomenes, therefore he has a domestic of good taste, a judicious man, who saves him that trouble, and the management likewise of his lace and linen is the province of a skilful woman. His language is courtly, but natural and intelligible. It is neither low nor bombastic, and ever free from pedantic and vulgar expressions. All his motions are genteel without affectation. His mien is rather sedate than airy, and his manner noble. For though he is ever civil and condescending, and no man less arrogant, yet in all his carriage there is something gracefully majestic, and there is nothing mean in his humility, so his loftiness has nothing disobliging. Horatio, prodigiously good. Cleomenes, he is charitable to the poor. His house is never shut to strangers, and all his neighbors he counts to be his friends. He is a father to his tenants, and looks upon their welfare as inseparable from his interest. No man is less uneasy at little offenses, or more ready to forgive all trespasses without design. The injuries that are suffered from other landlords he turns into benefits, and whatever damages, great or small, are sustained on his account, either from his diversions or otherwise, he doubly makes good. He takes care to be early informed of such losses, and commonly repairs them before they are complained of. Horatio, O rare humanity, hearken ye fox hunters! Cleomenes, he never chides any of his people, yet no man is better served, and though nothing is wanting in his housekeeping, and his family is very numerous, yet the regularity of it is no less remarkable than the plenty they live in, his orders he will have strictly obeyed, but his commands are always reasonable, and he never speaks to the meanest footman without regard to humanity. Extraordinary diligence in servants, and all laudable actions he takes notice of himself, and often commends them to their faces, but leaves it to his steward to reprove or dismiss those he dislikes. Horatio, well judged. Cleomenes, whoever lives with him is taken care of in sickness as well as in health, the wages he gives are above double those of other masters, and he often makes presents to those that are more than ordinary observing and industrious to please, but he suffers nobody to take a penny of his friends or others that come to his house, on any account whatever. Many faults are connived at or pardoned for the first time, but a breach of this order is ever attended with the loss of their places as soon as it is found out, and there is a premium for the discovery. Horatio this is the only exceptionable thing, in my opinion, that I have heard yet. Cleomenes, I wonder at that, why so, pray? Horatio, in the first place, it is very difficult to enforce obedience to such a command. Secondly, if it could be executed, it would be of little use, unless it could be made general, which is impossible, and therefore I look upon the attempt of introducing this maxim to be singular and fantastical. It would please misers and others. That would never follow the example at home, but it would take away from generous men a handsome opportunity of showing their liberal and beneficent disposition. Besides, it would manifestly make one's house too open to all sorts of people. Cleomenes. Ways might be found to prevent that, but then it would be a blessing, and do a great kindness to men of parts and education that have little to spare, to many of whom this money to servants is a very grievous burden." "'Horatio, what you mention is the only thing that can be said for it, "'and I own, of great weight, but I beg your pardon for interrupting you. "'Cleomenes, in all his dealings he is punctual and just. "'He has an immense estate, so he has good managers to take care of it, "'but though all his accounts are very neatly kept, "'yet he makes it part of his business to look them over himself. "'He suffers no tradesman's bill to lie by unexamined, "'and though he meddles not with his ready cash himself, Yet he is a quick and cheerful as well as an exact paymaster, and the only singularity he is guilty of is that he never will owe anything on a New Year's Day. Horatio, I like that very well. Cleomenes, he is affable with discretion, of easy access and never ruffled with passion. To sum up all, no man seems to be less elevated with his condition than himself, and in the full enjoyment of so many personal accomplishments as well as other possessions, His modesty is equal to the rest of his happiness, and in the midst of the pomp and distinction he lives in, he never appears to be entertained with his greatness, but rather unacquainted with the things he excels in. Horatio, it is an admirable character and pleases me exceedingly, but I will freely own to you that I should have been more highly delighted with the description if I had not known your design, and the use you intend to make of it, which I think is barbarous, To raise so fine, so elegant, and so complete an edifice, in order to throw it down, is taking great pains to show one's skill in doing mischief. I have observed the several places where you left room for evasions, and lapping the foundations you have built upon. His heart seems to be as open, and he never appears to be entertained with his greatness. I am persuaded that whatever you have put in this seeming and appearing, you have done it designedly and with an intent to make use of them as so many back doors to creep out at. I could never have taken notice of these things if you had not acquainted me with your intention beforehand. Cleomenes, I have made use of the caution you speak of, but with no other view than to avoid just censure and prevent your accusing me of incorrectness or judging with too much precipitation, if it should be proved afterwards that this gentleman had acted from an ill principle, which is the thing I own I purposed to convince you of. But seeing that it would be unpleasant to you, I would be satisfied with having given you some small entertainment of the description, and for the rest, I give you leave to think me in the wrong. Horatio, why so? I thought the character was made and contrived on purpose for my instruction. Cleomenes, I do not pretend to instruct you. I would have offered something and appealed to your judgment. But I have been mistaken, and plainly see my error." both last night and now, when we began our discourse, I took you to be in another disposition of thinking than I perceive you are. You spoke of an impression that had been made upon you, and of looking into yourself, and gave some other hints, which too rashly I misconstrued in my favor, but I have found since that you are as warm as ever against the sentiments I profess myself to be of, and therefore I will desist. I expect no pleasure from any triumph, And I know nothing that would vex me more than the thoughts of disobliging you. Pray let us do in this as we do in another matter of importance, never touch upon it. Friends in prudence should avoid all subjects in which they are known essentially to differ. Believe me, Horatio, if it was in my power to divert or give you any pleasure, I would grudge no pains to compass that end. But to make you uneasy is a thing that I shall never be knowingly guilty of, and I beg a thousand pardons for having said so much both yesterday and today. Have you heard anything from Gibraltar? Horatio, I am ashamed of my weakness and your civility. You have not been mistaken in the hints you speak of. What you have said has certainly made a great impression upon me, and I have endeavored to examine myself. But, as you say, it is a severe task to do it faithfully. I desired you to dine with me on purpose, that we might talk of these things. It is I that have offended, and it is I that ought to ask pardon for the ill manners I have been guilty of. But you know the principles I have always adhered to. It is impossible to recede from them at once. I see great difficulties, and now and then a glimpse of truth that makes me start. I sometimes feel great struggles within, but I have been so used to derive all actions that are really good from laudable motives, that as soon as I return to my accustomed way of thinking, it carries all before it. Pray, bear with my infirmities. I am in love with your fine gentleman, and I confess I cannot see how a person so universally good, so far remote from all selfishness, can act in such an extraordinary manner every way but from principles of virtue and religion. Where is there such a landlord in the world? If I am in an error, I shall be glad to be undeceived. Pray, inform me and say what you will. I promise you to keep my temper and I beg of you to speak your mind with freedom. Cleomenes, you have bid me before say what I would, and when I did you seem displeased, but since you command me I will try once more. Stroke. Whether there is or ever was such a man as I have described in the world is not very material, but I will easily allow that most people would think it less difficult to conceive one than to imagine that such a clear and beautiful stream could flow from so mean and muddy a spring, As an excessive thirst after praise, and an immoderate desire of general applause from the most knowing judges. Yet it is certain that great parts and extraordinary riches may compass all this in a man who is not deformed, and has had a refined education, and that there are many persons naturally no better than a thousand others, who by the helps mentioned might attain to those good qualities and accomplishments, if they had but resolution and perseverance enough, to render every appetite and every faculty subservient to that one predominant passion, which, if continually gratified, will always enable them to govern, and, if required, to subdue all the rest without exception, even in the most difficult cases. Horatio, to enter into an argument concerning the possibility of what you say might occasion a long dispute, but the probability, I think, is very clear against you, and if there ever was such a man, it would be much more credible that he acted from the excellency of his nature, in which so many virtues and rare endowments were assembled, than that all his good qualities sprung from vicious motives. If pride could be the cause of all this, the effect of it would sometimes appear in others. According to your system, there is no scarcity of it, and there are men of great parts and prodigious estates all over Europe, Why are there not several such patterns to be seen up and down as you have drawn as one? And why is it so very seldom that many virtues and good qualities are seen to meet in one individual? Cleomenes, Why so few persons, though there are so many men of immense fortune, ever arrive at anything like this high pitch of accomplishments? There are several reasons that are very obvious. In the first place, men differ in temperament, some are naturally of an active, stirring, others of an indolent, quiet disposition, some of a bold, others of a meek spirit. In the second, it is to be considered that this temperament in men come to maturity is more or less conspicuous, according as it has been either checked or encouraged by education. Thirdly, that on these two depend the different perception men have of happiness, according to which the love of glory determines them different ways. Some think of the greatest felicity to govern and rule over others. Some take the praise of bravery and undauntedness and dangers to be the most valuable. Others, erudition, and to be a celebrated author, so that, though they all love glory, they set out differently to acquire it. But a man who hates a bustle, and is naturally of a quiet easy temper, and which has been encouraged in him by education, it is very likely might think nothing more desirable than the character of a fine gentleman and if he did i dare say that he would endeavor to behave himself pretty near the pattern i have given you i say pretty near because i may have been mistaken in some things and as i have not touched upon everything some will say that i have left out several necessary ones but in the main i believe that in the country and age we live in the qualifications i have named would get a man the reputation i have supposed him to desire horatio without doubt i make no manner of scruple about what you said last And I told you before that it was an admirable character and pleased me exceedingly. That I took notice of your making your gentleman so very godly as you did was because it is not common, but I intended it not as a reflection. One thing indeed there was in which I differed from you, but that was merely speculative. And, since I have reflected on what you have answered me, I do not know but I may be in the wrong, as I should certainly believe myself to be, If there really was such a man, and he was of the contrary opinion, to such a fine genius I would pay an uncommon deference, and with great readiness submit my understanding to his superior capacity. But the reasons you give why those effects which you ascribe to pride are not more common, the cause being so universal, I think are insufficient. That men are prompted to follow different ends as their inclinations differ, I can easily allow but there are great numbers of rich men that are likewise of a quiet and indolent disposition, and moreover very desirous of being thought fine gentlemen. How comes it that among so many persons of high birth, princely estates, and the most refined education as there are in Christendom, that study, travel, and take great pains to be well accomplished, there is not one to whom all the good qualities and everything you named could be applied without flattery. Cleomenes, It is very possible that thousands may aim at this, and not one of them succeed to that degree. In some, perhaps the predominant passion is not strong enough entirely to subdue the rest. Love or covetousness may divert others. Drinking, gaming may draw away many, and break in upon their resolution. They may not have strength to persevere in a design, and steadily to pursue the same ends, or they may want a true taste or knowledge of what is esteemed by men of judgment. Or, lastly, they may not be so thoroughly well-bred, as is required to conceal themselves on all emergencies, for the practical part of dissimulation is infinitely more difficult than the theory, and any one of these obstacles is sufficient to spoil all, and hinder the finishing of such a piece. Horatio, I shall not dispute that with you, but all this while you have proved nothing, nor given the least reason why you should imagine, that a man of character, to all outward appearance so bright and beautiful, acted from vicious motives. You would not condemn him without so much as naming the cause why you suspect him. Cleomenes, by no means, nor have I advanced anything that is ill-natured or uncharitable, for I have not said that if I found a gentleman in possession of all the things I mentioned, I would give his rare endowments this turn, and think all his perfections derived from no better stock than an ordinary love of glory." What I argue for, and insist upon, is the possibility that all these things might be performed by a man from no other views, and with no other helps, than those I have named. Nay, I believe, moreover, that a gentleman so accomplished, all his knowledge and great parts notwithstanding, may himself be ignorant, or at least not well assured of the motive he acts from. Horatio, this is more unintelligible than anything you have said yet. Why will you heap difficulties upon one another? without solving any, I desire you would clear up this last paradox before you do anything else. Cleomenes, in order to obey you, I must put you in mind of what happens in early education, by the first rudiments of which infants are taught in the choice of actions to prefer the precepts of others to the dictates of their own inclinations, which, in short, is no more than doing as they are bid. To gain this point, punishments and rewards are not neglected, and many different methods are made use of. But it is certain, that nothing proves more often effectual for this purpose, or has a greater influence upon children, than the handle that is made of shame, which, though a natural passion, they would not be sensible of so soon, if we did not artfully rouse and stir it up in them, before they can speak or go. By which means, their judgment being weak, we may teach them to be ashamed of what we please, and as soon as we can perceive them to be any ways affected with the passion itself. But as the fear of shame is very insignificant, where there is but little pride, so it is impossible to augment the first without increasing the latter in the same proportion. Horatio, I should have thought that this increase of pride would render children more stubborn and less docile. Cleomenes, you judge right, it would be so, and must have been a great hindrance to good manners till experience taught men that though pride was not to be destroyed by force, it might be governed by stratagem, and that the best way to manage it is by playing the passion against itself." Hence it is that in an artful education we are allowed to place as much pride as we please in our dexterity of concealing it. I do not suppose that this covering ourselves, notwithstanding the pride we take in it, is performed without a difficulty that is plainly felt, and perhaps very unpleasant at first. But this wears off as we grow up, and when a man has behaved himself with so much prudence as I have described, lived up to the strictest rules of good breeding for many years, and has gained the esteem of all that know him, When this noble and polite manner has become habitual to him, it is possible he may in time forget the principle he set out with, and become ignorant, or at least insensible, of the hidden spring that gives life and motion to all his actions. Horatio, I am convinced of the great use that may be made of pride, if you will call it so, but I am not satisfied yet how a man of so much sense, knowledge, and penetration, one that understands himself so entirely well, should be ignorant of his own heart and the motives he acts from. What is it that induces you to believe this, besides the possibility of his forgetfulness? Cleomenes. I have two reasons for it, which I desire may be seriously considered. The first is, that in what relates to ourselves, especially to our own worth and excellency, pride blinds the understanding in men of sense in great parts as well as in others, and the greater value we may reasonably set upon ourselves the fitter we are to swallow the grossest flatteries in spite of all our knowledge and abilities in other matters. Witness Alexander the Great, whose vast genius could not hinder him from doubting seriously whether he was a god or not. My second reason will prove to us that if the person in question was capable of examining himself, it is yet highly improbable that he would ever set about it. For it must be granted that, in order to search into ourselves, it is required we should be willing as well as able, and we have all the reason in the world to think, that there is nothing which a very proud man of such high qualifications would avoid more carefully than such an inquiry, because, for all other acts of self-denial, he is repaid in his darling passion, but this alone is really mortifying, and the only sacrifice of his quiet for which he can have no equivalent. If the hearts of the best and sincerest men are corrupt and deceitful, what condition must theirs be in whose whole life is one continued scene of hypocrisy? Therefore inquiring within, and boldly searching into one's own bosom, must be the most shocking employment that a man can give his mind to, whose greatest pleasure consists in secretly admiring himself. It would be ill manners, after this, to appeal to yourself, but the severity of the task, Stroke. "'Horatio, say no more, I yield this point, though I own I cannot conceive what advantage you can expect from it, for, instead of removing, it will rather help to increase the grand difficulty, which is to prove that this complete person you have described acts from a vicious motive, and if that be not your design, I cannot see what you drive at. "'Cleomenes, I told you it was. "'Horatio, you must have a prodigious sagacity in detecting abstruse matters before other men.' Cleomenes, you wonder, I know, which way I arrogate to myself such a superlative degree of penetration, as to know an artful cunning man better than he does himself, and how I dare pretend to enter and look into a heart which I have owned to be completely well concealed from all the world, which in strictness is an impossibility, and consequently not to be bragged of but by a coxcomb. Horatio, you may treat yourself as you please, I have said no such thing. But I own that I long to see it proved, that you have this capacity. I remember the character very well. Notwithstanding the precautions you have taken, it is very full. I told you before, that where things have a handsome appearance every way, there can be no just cause to suspect them. I will stick close to that. Your gentleman is all of a piece. You shall alter nothing, either by retracting any of the good qualities you have given him, or making additions that are either clashing with, or unsuitable to what you have allowed already. Cleomenes, I shall attempt neither, and without that decisive trials may be made by which it will plainly appear whether a person acts from inward goodness and a principle of religion, or only from a motive of vain glory. And in the latter case, there is an infallible way of dragging the lurking fiend from his darkest recesses into a glaring light, where all the world shall know him. End of section 35.